the markets. We just can't get enough of them. Markets are the drivers of your wealth and investment strategy. Welcome to Magic Markets with your co-hosts, the Finance Coast and Mohamed Nalla. Together, we have more than 25 years of combined experience in the markets. In addition to our weekly free show that you know and love, we have now launched Magic Markets Premium, a weekly show for our subscribers in which we give detailed analysis on global stocks. Every premium show is accompanied by a report covering the company's strategic drivers, its operating environment, its competitors, bull versus bear case, technical trading indicators, and a long-term investment thesis. At just 99 Rand per month, we are committed to making institutional-level analysis affordable for all investors and traders. Visit magic-markets.com to go premium and unlock your full potential in the markets. Welcome to episode 67 of Magic Markets, and this is going to be a seriously interesting show with a very interesting guest. So you're stuck with Mo and I, as you always are, but all the way from Stockholm, and this is not an easy surname, but I'm going to try it anyway. Omid, that's the easy part. The not-so-easy part is Golamifar. Hopefully that's not too terrible, but you're going to introduce yourself anyway, so you'll be able to say it properly. But uh, you know, leaving that aside, it's not the only complicated surname that uh, you've had in your life or been exposed to. There's another surname that people might know and a name that people might know in the form of uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, someone you've played soccer with in an earlier life and who you made me promise I wouldn't bring up and now I've broken that promise anyway. But let's, uh, let's welcome you to the show. Mo, let's say hello to you first and then Omid can uh, say hello. Yeah, Ghost, always a pleasure hosting uh, fresh new guests on the show. I think that's really what we've committed to doing for our listeners. So, Omid, great to have you on the show and excited about what we're about to talk about. Welcome to Magic Markets. Thanks, guys. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. It's a pleasure. So, Omid, you are genuinely an ex-soccer player who played with Latin, but we'll leave that there. It just adds to your tapestry of life, which is really interesting. More importantly, for this podcast at least, you've got so much European experience. I mean, you famously... Uh, you know, we're involved in a business that was sold to Spotify and, you know, you're very humble about it. It may have been a small stake and all that stuff, but it's still pretty cool. Spotify is a business that everyone certainly knows. Not many people realize it's European. I think a lot of people mistakenly actually think that Spotify is from the US, certainly South Africans. They kind of lump it in with all the other tech companies. But, you know, more than that, what you now do for a living is you raise money and you invest in Iran, which is, again, incredibly interesting and different. So it's kind of this like... Iron Man type story, um, and <laughs> it's, it's something that we're going to certainly delve into, but maybe in your own words, it'll be great to hear from you, you know, the two or three minute version of, of, of what it is you've done and what it is you're doing. Sure. Thank you. Uh, so basically, uh, my name is Omid Golamfar. I was uh, born in Iran in 81, and um, I lived there for the first eight years of my life. Uh, we came to Sweden in 89, where I grew up, basically. Um, I studied law and finance um, in Sweden and in Canada, and I worked uh, a short stint as a lawyer, uh, then as an investment banker. But then I quickly realized that I want to do uh, or I want to be in the investment management business, uh, basically uh, making decisions rather than advising others. And so I um, moved to Norway and started working for what was then the largest independent fund um, investing all over the world. And uh, I was 24 at the time, so it was a great experience uh, and uh, a lot of responsibility because the fund was um, about 7 billion euros. And um, I traveled the world and sat down with the management of some of the largest companies in the world. And um, it was a fantastic experience. I learned a lot. Uh, basically, back then, uh, I um, uh, traveled to Iran every few years with family. 
and I always had a dream of setting something up and, um, and, and, and doing business in Iran. It was difficult and what I had uh, in mind didn't exist. So slowly but surely, I uh, got more and more into it and uh, we made our first investments there in 2014. And uh, the nuclear deal with the US was signed. We uh, basically were happy and uh, grew on the back of that. Uh, but then uh, President Trump came in and, and threw uh, apart the, the nuclear deal and uh, uh, turned the whole thing upside down, basically, or at least tried to. And um, yeah, we continue doing what we do, uh, focused on investing in the best companies on the ground. And um, it worked out uh, very well so far, despite the sanctions and all the, all the difficulties. Basically, um, you know, my thing was rather than getting better at um, investing, uh, which I had done for the last 15 years, um, instead going towards finding weaker hands. So basically finding inefficient markets where um, the expected return would be higher than the competitive markets that I had been uh, working with uh, before. So we've had challenges those on various fronts, but competition hasn't been one of them. So that's a quick introduction to uh, how I came about doing what I'm doing. I mean, thanks. I think that's fascinating. And I, I think some of that background will also explain to our listeners why we're speaking to you. I mean, it's it's that eclectic mix of different skills uh, and then utilizing that very much in a global markets context. I want to almost backpedal a little bit because of the unique nature of what we're discussing today. I mean, we're discussing Iran. Uh, and this comes at a very interesting juncture in history. You know, you mentioned the U.S. sanctions and how you kind of went into Iran when the deal was done and when sanctions were lifted. Uh, and that, that turned around at the drop of a hat during the previous administration in the U.S. Uh, and those kinds of geopolitical shifts can be very dislocating for investors, certainly in the shorter term. Maybe with a longer term lens, you kind of smooth some of that out. But why I want to backtrack here is that Iran is actually a very poorly understood country. And not a lot of people realize that you know, when you look at Iran, if you really apply a, a super historical lens to it, you're looking at Persia. You know, it was around when the Greeks were around. So it's one of the oldest civilizations in the world. Now, no history lesson here. I know Ghost always gives me uphill in terms of, of history lessons. But how's about just a quick overview of how you contextualize Iran today? You know, do you see it as an emerging market or is it still very much a frontier market? I mean, capital markets are not particularly well developed in Iran relative to other emerging markets. It's not something that comes up on the radar as often uh, unless you're specifically looking into that region. Maybe give us a quick, you know, two minute historical context of Iran and how you view Iran in the investment context today. Sure. Happy to. Uh, so basically, um, I guess most people were, know where Iran is situated. And if you take a pen and, and, and draw a line between South Africa and Russia, it probably goes through Iran. If you draw a line between China and Europe, it probably goes through Iran. So it's very well situated geographically. Um, and it's a vast country. Um, it's uh, both in terms of size and population. 85 million people live there. The demographics is really interesting. Two-thirds of the country are below the age of 40, uh, which means that they're actually born after the, the, the Islamic Revolution in 79. The education levels are quite high. Famously, Iran um, has uh, you know, a very high literacy rate. A bunch of engineers graduate every year. And if you look around the world, um, a lot of the most successful people in, in the companies, not, not the least in Silicon Valley, are, are from Iran or have their background there. 
the economy is is large. It's the 18th largest economy in the world on a PPP adjusted basis, which is the right way to look at it. It's also the 18th largest country in terms of population. So that sort of makes sense. The economy is also very diversified. So people uh, intuitively think that Iran is all about oil and gas, but in reality is just like 15% of GDP. Uh, over 50% of the GDP comes from services. So that would give the signal that it's actually a quite um, a mature um, uh, economy, which it isn't. It just has to diversify due to the heavy sanctions it's been under uh, for, uh, for uh, decades. So basically, you have a large and a diversified economy. You have very well, well built out infrastructure in terms of ports and airports and 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 water and electricity and and, and all that. Uh, on top of that, you have uh, you know a very big and cheap uh, labor force, mostly because of currency devaluation. But but the labor in Iran is now cheaper than Vietnam, uh, which is you know uh, news to 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 most people. Um, at the same time, the economy is almost totally debt-free. And when I say debt-free, I'm thinking of external debt, uh, which means that all the leverage in the economy is in the local currency. So you have a huge mixture of um, you know, um, things that, that usually people don't expect. Now, when you think of uh, developed, uh, developing uh, countries or developed uh, emerging and frontier markets, the way I like to think about it is that the developed market are uh, senior citizens, uh, the emerging markets are uh, adults, and the frontier markets are adolescents. And uh, that sort of uh, tells a little bit about what it's all about. So in uh, the teenage markets, so to speak, if I may put it that way, uh, you get much more volatility, uh, and um, but the best decades are probably ahead of it. Whereas in the senior citizen markets, you know, it's not that nothing happens there. There's obviously opportunities in, in places like Sweden and the U.S. and Italy and so on. But, um, you know, the opportunities are probably a lot less and the economy is growing a lot slower uh, over time uh, than in the emerging and frontier markets. So that's, I guess, a high level description of what Iran is and, um, you know, how how it's interesting. Yeah, I love that analogy of the, the volatile teenager. I think I'll remember that forever. I mean, it's, you know, there's a great story to tell here, and there's a lot that people don't understand about that economy. I think it's a lot bigger than most people think. In some ways, it's more developed than most people think. But obviously, it is not the easiest place to be running around and trying to raise money so that you can invest in it. So what are the sort of most difficult questions you typically get? And are your efforts kind of focused in Europe? And, you know, what sort of questions are they asking that make it a bit tough for you? What do you deal with? So, yeah, I mean, basically, um, you know, just to continue on the last line and I'll, I'll get to it. So Iran is not included in any index. So basically, despite being the 18th largest economy in the world, is not even in the frontier market index. Whereas if it was to be included, it would probably be in the emerging market index and a substantial portion of it. Um, so so that whole story is is yet to play out and, 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 and who knows when. But basically... Um, Iran is a real economy. It's an industrialized and diversified economy. So we have 600 listed companies on the Tehran Stock Exchange with a cumulative market cap of about 200 billion uh, euros. And from that perspective, it's roughly the size of Turkey, which is an emerging market. 
uh, with similar size population and, and, and all that uh, stuff. Basically, the Tehran uh, index, which is the stock market index of Iran, um, has been around since 2008. And the returns uh, per annum in euros uh, on a total return basis have been around 13%, um, which is probably higher than the S&P 500 during a period where, you know, uh, the tech companies have gone from basically nothing to, to, to everything. Uh, obviously, the returns uh, of the Tehran Stock Exchange is much more volatile than S&P 500. But I would say that that's an opportunity rather than uh, rather than a problem. Uh, the other thing is that the growth of the Tehran Stock Exchange has come from earnings growth uh, rather than multiple expansion, which I think accounts for a bunch of the returns in the developed world, uh, particularly in the US. And uh, we all know the amount of pr money printing that has been going on over the last 13 or so years. Taking all of that together, I, I would say that the returns in Tehran has been much more robust than the returns uh, of the S&P 500. And basically, you could say that a lot of the companies in Iran are basically dollar assets or euro assets that are listed in Tehran. They have um, great market positions, they have pricing power, and uh, run by decent uh, management teams. Now, uh, despite of that, the foreign direct investments in Iran is basically non-existent, um, you know, and hasn't been for, for decades. It's been, uh, you know, uh, effectively, if I may say, discriminated on that front for, 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 for many decades, which means that the risk premium in Iran is very high and probably too high. And that's, that's, uh, that's one of the reasons uh, why I'm there. So the way to think about the, the opportunity in Iran is that if you look at similar markets like China and Russia, not in terms of size, but in terms of you know, just reference points, when those markets opened up within just a couple of years, you got a 10x or a 15x return in hard currency in those markets um, as uh, outside money flew in. Uh, and that will uh, likely happen in Tehran as well, uh, if, not, uh, if not more. And you know, there is no doubt that the uh, local stock market is inefficient. I mean, nobody in Tehran talks about Gaussian curves and, and things like that. So um, it's a tremendous opportunity. I think most people see that, um, you know, when I explain it to them like this. But then the question to kind of answer your question, uh, Ghost, is that, um, you know, uh, how will we be able to uh, realize these returns? They, they, they sound almost too good to be true. And it is difficult to do business in Iran. Uh, you know, it, the capital doesn't flow easily due to sanctions. It's not easy to source businesses. It's not easy to, to, to invest. It's not easy to return your money once you've invested. But all of that, I think, is more than captured in the risk premium. And it's not all or nothing. It doesn't mean that you need to go all in on Iran. But I do think it's one of those markets which has very high historical returns, very high expected returns. Uh, it's misunderstood, and it has zero correlation to any other market in the world. So, you know, the holy grail of, of, of theoretical finance is to have an uncorrelated portfolio. And including Iran in your portfolio, I would argue, increases your expected return, while at the same time uh, reduces your correlation risk. So if Fed were to raise rates, or if oil price goes to 150, or if Russia becomes even more aggressive, it probably has no effect on what's going on in, in, in locally in, in Iran, at least for a while. Yeah, I, I want to jump in there because you, you've kind of preempted 
the first half of, of my next question, Omid, which is, you know, in investments, it's all well and good having the underlying thesis being very sound and the earnings coming through. And that's, I mean, that's real earnings. It's a real economy. We've discussed demographics, you know, the entire business case. Uh, but also in investments, especially at this juncture of where we find ourselves in the world, liquidity is king. Uh, what I mean when I say that, you know, I was speaking to an investor just a couple of days ago who was invested in Russia prior to the current flare-up. Uh, and the fact of the matter is a lot of those assets are now unplayable. You know, the way financial markets have been weaponized by, for example, the sanctions that have come out of the U.S. and so forth is something largely unprecedented just in terms of the, the scale and the swiftness. And if we are to look at that lens of the world we're going into right now, you know, countries like Iran that have been, you know, like you say, on the right side of sanctions and on the wrong side of sanctions, and it's kind of been a switch that has been flicked on and off severely compromise to a large degree the investability of an entire geographic region correctly or incorrectly so and one of the ways you mitigate around that would obviously be creating channels for investment so whether those are etfs or you know closed-ended funds open-ended funds whatever it may be that allow you to invest in a jurisdiction like london new york wherever it may be and that then flows through into an iranian investment and even those mechanisms have not been spared, for example, in the Russian context right now. So maybe talk to us a bit about that, because for me, you know, it's all well and good if the business narrative is sound and it makes a great fundamental case. But the practicalities thereof do raise a couple of question marks, and for, specifically for South African investors who have been down this road with the likes of, for example, an MTN and their involvement in Iran, where they waited for the sanctions to be lifted, they got about a billion dollars out, and then sanctions kind of came back in again. Maybe talk to us a bit about that from a practical perspective. So first of all, uh, what we do is we invest in fast-moving consumer goods and pharmaceuticals, which can't be sanctioned due to humanitarian reasons. That is very different than telecom, oil and gas, you know, um, what have you, banking and so on, right? What the sectors that we invest in um, are indirectly sanctioned because banking channels are sanctioned. So we are affected by sanctions, but what we do is fully compliant. So I think that is really important to, to, to keep in mind. When you invest somewhere, what do you invest in? The other thing, Mo, I think uh, that people tend to forget, although it's simple arithmetic, is that if you think of the U.S. and Europe, uh, you know, the, the sort of, um, you know, senior citizen uh, economies, only 10% of the global population live there. Basically, 90% of the global population live in countries outside of Europe and the U.S., which are more or less you know, in the same categories as Iran, China, Russia, and so on and so forth. There might be some exceptions, but, but not, not many, I would argue. These markets are much more volatile and basically have, uh, you know, uh, meta theories, as I call them, working against them. What do I mean with a meta theory? If you think of how investors regularly think about China, the basic narrative is that China is a bubble. So when things go well, the bubble is getting bigger. When things don't go well, the bubble is bursting. But there's always a bubble. This is why I call it a meta theory, right? On the other hand, the same investors uh, would probably be happy about investing in a multinational that has big operations in China. There, the narrative is quite different, right? It seems like when they delegate the investment decision to an operating company, you know, they're happy with it because the operating company can hide these risks under a blanket. But when, you know, investors can invest directly, 
and you know have a more focused exposure to a certain market, they all of a sudden become jittery about you know uh, diversification and how how this thing is is a risk. And you know when you think of investing in these markets, as I said, is not all or nothing. It it's all about having an exposure, right? And the way I like to think about these markets uh, from a financial investor point of view is like most venture capitalists would think of startups. You don't go all in. You start allocating a little bit uh, and learn more about it. And then you can increase your exposure over time as uh, the companies and the countries deliver. Uh, but it should never be at a size where you know, you you would lose sleep. And this is what Ray Dalio talks about and having a diversified global uh, portfolio. And that's all I'm advocating for uh, when it comes to Iran, which is the market that I'm active in, is that the vast majority of people are underexposed to Iran based on a meta theory that I think is flawed. And where I think it's flawed is that they think that they can avoid the Iran risk by not investing in Iran. What's the Iran risk? The Iran risk, as it's extreme, is a geopolitical conflict, a military conflict that they want to avoid by not investing in Iran. But let's run that scenario. So you have 100% of your portfolio. You've put 2% of that in Iran. In a military conflict, let's assume that that 2% goes to zero, although that can be debated as well. Uh, what happens to the other 98% of your portfolio? Well, with the oil price going through 200, then I guess you know the rest of the portfolio would be wrecked as well. So my understanding is that the only thing you miss by not being in Iran is the Iran return. You don't avoid the Iran risk by not being in Iran. You know that's the that's the point of living in a in a globalized world, and we see now the conflict between Russia and Ukraine uh, that is not a major part of any index. Uh, potentially, uh, you know, causing havoc around the world, even in the uh, senior citizen economies. Yeah, I mean, as soon as you start talking about macro stuff, obviously our listeners can't see it, but Mo's eyes just light up because, you know, I always bring him back down to talking bottom up. And, you know, he has a conversation about top down, which is right. I mean, look, I took a similar approach when I put a lot of money into Sassol after the big drop in 2020, because I just remember saying to Mrs. Ghost, well, if it works, we'll make money. And if it doesn't work, well, listen, if oil never comes back, we're going to be farming our own potatoes anyway. And the least of our problems will be our stocks. So... You know, there's, there is actually a lot of truth in that. I mean, a lot of people have been burnt now by this Russian story. Sure, you'd rather not own Spurbank. You know, you'd rather own Barlow World and Mondi down, you know, much less than that. But it's an interesting point. Just to go bottom up while well, we've still got some time to do so, I think it would be great to get just an example of something you're invested in. Because what's also great is you're not just talking about this. You're doing this. This is what you do day to day. You have a fund. You have investments. And I think it's important that you talk about that a little bit and also just give a cool example or two of, you know, a couple of the companies you have positions in right now on the ground in Iran. So we basically, the theme is always the same. We look for market leading, fast moving consumer goods and pharmaceutical companies to invest in. Uh, These companies are market leaders, but the markets are usually quite fragmented. So they probably have in the range of between five and 10%. And they have a lot of growth ahead of them because they have significant competitive advantages versus their uh, peers. Just to give you a recent example, our pharmaceutical company, which is the market leader in Iran, they do an annual survey asking um, doctors to mention the highest quality pharmaceutical uh, company in Iran. And 77% of the doctors 
give the name Dr. Abidi, which is our uh, investee. Uh, number two on that list only gets 6% of the votes. And that sort of tells you that there's an order of magnitude perception in terms of quality, which is really important in a country that is under sanction. And medicine is something that you uh, sort of put in your mouth. So it, it's it's not strange that the company is growing twice as uh, the rate of the the market as a whole, which itself is 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 growing very fast. Now, when you also look at the region around Iran, there's also a huge export opportunity, and uh, using the industrial base that is there to be able to sell to those countries which no uh, you know serious investor and multinational want to touch. So we're not talking about 85 million people. We're talking about hundreds of millions of people that have a very similar need. I think that's that's all fascinating. I mean, maybe just leveraging off Ghost's last point, you know, for listeners, investors who are interested in this the story, this Iran, the prospects thereof, you know, where would you suggest they start? I mean, we I think the show has planted the seed and anyone who's interested is going to go and read up and research. And that's really, the, I guess, the intent of, of a discussion like this is for us to learn, myself included. But what would you point us to in terms of resources, maybe your own website, and then also accessibility? You know, if people like the idea, how do they access investments like you're talking about? You know, the source uh, that I would recommend is our website, where we have a bunch of blog posts and we're writing more. We're working on a white paper of, um, you know, investing in Iran. Uh, on the website, there are some interviews with me uh, and some videos uh, if people want to, uh, you know, listen and, and, and learn more. Um, unfortunately, investing in Iran is not straightforward because, as you can imagine, a lot of the foreign brokers um, are scared of their licenses, so they don't set up shop there. And it's effectively an isolated island in the middle of the world. It's literally called the Middle East, right? So it's it's a white space. It's a white spot on the market. But to invest there uh, in a personal capacity, you basically have to fly to Tehran. You have to set up a bank account. You have to set up a brokerage account, which is all possible. I know people who've done it. And, you know, um, the annual reports are not in English. And so on and so forth. And I love that because it gives me an edge. Um, you know, it's 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 why it's an in, in, in you know inefficient market. The next step would be to find uh, a way to get exposure. And there, our company Circland, uh, which is an investment company, not a fund, uh, could be an alternative. And I'm certainly hoping uh, that we would kind of attract more capital than just the European capital that we have now. And uh, I'm looking to list the company when it's possible to do so in uh, a regulated market in, in, in Europe for more people to be able to sort of uh, be able to get exposure to Iran through uh, a sort of a, a European market that would make it easier for them uh, until the company country hopefully gradually uh, opens up even more and people can, uh, can sort of invest uh, on their own. But it's not easy. And uh, that's to an advantage to the people who actually uh, want to do it. You know, one of the interesting things is investors always tell me that they all want to look at things that nobody else wants to look at and they want to do their homework. And then when you tell them, well, you know, there is one market that is huge and just there to be taken, um, nobody does the work, nobody that I know at least. So maybe uh, through this podcast, uh, some of your listeners will prove me wrong and actually uh, do the work and, and, and get in touch and maybe even come visit me in Tehran and, and, and see some of our some of our companies in addition to the civilization and, and the great food and, and the great people. 
so that, uh, you know, they can figure out for themselves whether it is something to investigate uh, more or not. Maybe as a reference to Ghost, the uh, headline to my presentation is how do you prove that ghosts don't exist? <laughs> but the point is that when it comes to Iran, people are scared of something that they really can't define. And I always challenge people to say, you know, when was the last time you ever read a positive news article on Iran? And they, they, they can't point me to one, right? And I think, you know, from a, from a rational investor point of view, that sort of gives me the signal that this is the thing to do. As soon as somebody calls a market uninvestable, it can't mean that it's expensive, right? It probably means that it's cheap. So that's the place to start looking. That is, you know, the way I did it. Obviously, I was born in that country. I spent two thirds of my time there. And investing is, is, is all about being different and being right. I know that I'm different and I think I'm right. So far, the numbers point to the fact that we're right. But, you know, the, 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 the ultimate validation seems to come down to something that's not under my control, which is the geopolitics. And I'm hoping that it will uh, go in the right direction. Yeah, I mean, thank you. That's fantastic. So that website is Circland Invest, S-E-R-K-L-A-N-D Invest.com. Go check it out. You'll see a I mean, it's a pretty picture there. You'll see a whole lot of cool thinking there. Um, I love the idea of uh, the ghosts. Um, <laughs> not all ghosts are friendly and not all of them are scary. And I think that's the point here. So, I mean, thanks. I mean, we met through a sort of mutual friend and, you know, the more we chatted, the more we realized that you, you just do such interesting stuff that we have to get you on the show. So thank you for taking the time. And to our listeners, yeah, I mean, this is something you've never heard before. I'm willing to wager on that. Go check out Circland. Go learn something new today. Omid, fascinating conversations. I hope uh, our listeners found this as valuable as I found it, certainly from a learning perspective. Uh, and look forward to keeping those channels of communication open. Omid, thanks for being on Magic Markets. Definitely. Thank you, guys. This podcast is for informational purposes only and is not financial or investment advice. Please, Speak to your personal financial advisor.